You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome into the latest episode of the Five Reasons Podcast. This is usually where I say with always Chris Whittingham or always with Chris Whittingham, but Chris has fled the country. He's in England for about a week, so I'll be handling a lot of these duties myself over the next week, but obviously NFL and NBA business goes on, so the podcast continues. Now that you have found this podcast, make sure you hit the subscribe or follow button on your favorite podcast provider. In addition to the one that you usually use, we're also on Spotify and TuneIn now, which makes it easier to find us on a number of different platforms. Also, check out the other 14 podcasts in our network, including the Chamber podcast, which is hosted by Chris Chambers on fitness and performance, Fish Tank, hosted by OJ McDuffie and Seth Levitt, and of course, Three Yards Per Carry, our Dolphins Analysis podcast, which is hosted by Chris Kaufman, Alfredo Artiega, and Simon Clancy, who's probably cursing me as we speak. Also, this episode is brought to you by AutoNation, since AutoNation is America's largest automotive retailer. Chances are they have the vehicle that you are looking for. Shop from over 100,000 new cars, trucks, vans, and sport utilities. From the luxury of Mercedes-Benz to that Chevy pickup truck you've always wanted, they've got it. AutoNation helps finance over 430,000 people every single year. And you could be next. Get a great rate today. AutoNation strives to make the car buying process quick and easy, but most of all, stress-free. So go to AutoNation.com and you'll hear about them more on the rest of our podcast. Okay, today... We're going to break down some tape. We're going to dive into this Dolphin situation with someone who knows. He has the three yards per carry seal of approval. I had to get that before I brought him here on the podcast. You can find him at Grinding the Tape on Twitter. He's Kyle Krabs. Uh, Kyle, before we start, could you give people a little bit of your background for, for those who don't know it? Of course. Well, first and foremost, thanks for having me on. It's always nice to talk Dolphins football. I grew up a Dolphins fan, so my, uh, my allegiances trace back to the final years of Dan Marino. And uh, because of that, this is how I have found myself to be a draft guy, because every year come the end of October as a Dolphins fan, you're <laughs> starting to look forward to next year. And all right, who can we get that's going to put us over the top? So grew up a, a lifelong Dolphins fan growing up, um, but my work has taken me into the draft realm, and I do full-time work for the Draft Network. I had originally started my own, just a blog a couple years ago as an objective to put together a portfolio. And, in hopes of either getting into the media or working with a team. And over the course of the last five years, it's really, really grown and uh, really thankful to have the opportunity with the Draft Network, which uh, debuted in August. Uh, we, we strive to be the 33rd front office mm -hmm. in, uh, the, in the NFL sphere, and, and we cover college prospects year-round and, and personnel moves. And uh, it, it's been a fun journey, but definitely 
uh, the Dolphins will always have my eye and my heart as it comes to uh, the fanhood of being a football fan. But working in the field, I'm sure, as you know, definitely changes those dynamics. Mm -hmm. No question. And it's better to have the, uh, your eye than your heart over the last 20 years with what you've kind of been yeah. doing. So, so and I, I know that our listeners understand that. All right. So let's get right to it. Because as we're speaking today, here the day after Christmas, there's a report in the Miami Herald that Mike Tannenbaum is out or is likely out. And that although not everyone else is safe, they're safer than he is. There's also been reporting about Ryan Tannehill and the direction that Steve Ross wants to go there. And the direction is not uh, it's keeping him as the primary starting quarterback. And again, he's owed you know, quite a bit of money after this year. They've got to make a decision on that. So let's, before we start to get into specific position groups, specific players, what would be your ideal front office situation for the Miami Dolphins? What should Steve Ross do? Well, I know there's a lot of positivity around the eye that Chris Greer has for talent and football players. And you know, the, the, the Dolphins, when they made these moves and, and shuffled the deck to bring Tannenbaum in a couple years ago, it was odd, right? Because you had the power struggle between Philbin and Ireland and Ireland won out, or I'm sorry, Philbin won out, and then you plugged in Dennis Hickey, and Dennis Hickey's here for a year, but he's kind of a straw man because Tannenbaum's behind us, and then Tannenbaum comes in. So I think if you can simplify that structure, however that looks, bringing in somebody who, as you replace Mike Tannenbaum, you get some clarity in the pecking order in the front office and, and who answers to whom and who answers directly to Steve Ross, and, and I think if you can introduce a, a VP that is clearly the guy at the top and everything that happens beneath him, those people answer to him instead of directly to Ross, which you know Ross has tried to juggle over the course of the last decade or so since he bought the team in 2009, uh, I think would provide some better clarity as far as when changes need to be made, avoiding these power struggles within the organization and the politicking that's being involved in well, I'm doing my responsibility, but I, I can't get the help that I need from the other people that are responsible for either personnel or coaching. Yeah, see, Kyle, that's been my biggest issue. And you, you mentioned the, the Philbin Ireland thing. It goes back further than that, actually. I mean, and, and a lot of this predates Ross. It was Hyzinga who, who kept making the same mistake also, which was you go all the way back to, say, uh, the end of Jimmy Johnson's tenure, right? So Jimmy doesn't want to coach anymore in, in the last season. And so they fly over the Naples, right? And they bring over Dave Wanstatt in a helicopter to be the assistant head coach. But he's really running the team during Jimmy's last year for all intents and purposes, if you talk to the players. Then Dave brings in, then Jimmy goes, Dave brings in Spielman. They go with Dave over Spielman with final say for three years. And then 2004, in a press conference, I'll never forget because I was at it and it just made no sense. Nobody knew what the roles were supposed to be. Rick Spielman didn't even know he had to wear a suit. He had to go upstairs to get a suit because he was going to be replacing his buddy, Wanstad, as the guy with final say. But Marino, who wanted to get home to his wife that day, was going to be over top of both of them. And that lasted two weeks until Marino was sitting on a right. cold, cold, rainy bench in Mobile. So you had that situation. Then you blow everybody out for Saban except Spielman. They don't talk for the first year that they're together. Saban gets sick of him, brings in Randy Mueller, and then when Saban leaves, they keep Randy Mueller for Cam Cameron. 
Okay, and so until they did a clean break in 2008, but unfortunately they brought in a guy who just wanted to golf and go, you know, watch the ponies and Parcells. And then, as you mentioned, Ireland then sticks around again after that, and they have another power struggle, and then Hickey. So this has been repeated through Heisinga, been repeated through Ross. And that's why my prescription on all of this is similar to yours. Why not find the one person? Why not find your Pat Riley, okay, and, and have everything flow down from him? And it seems to me, at least based on the initial reporting here, and, and this is going to change, and I, I know who certain guys behind the scenes are talking to, and, you know, so, I mean, all of this, everybody's out for themselves at this point, okay? But the way it seems to me right now is that Ross at least is thinking about the idea of doing it halfway again, of, of keeping the coach or telling the new executive, whoever that is, replaces Tannenbaum, or maybe it's Greer, you have to keep Gase. And what I don't understand about that, Kyle, is, and I know you know the league a little bit, like, doesn't that hurt you in terms of getting the best possible candidate? Like, wouldn't it make more sense to hire an executive and say, okay, you can keep Gase, but you should have a conversation with him. You should evaluate his work and decide if that's the best coach for you. Exactly right. And, you know, the, the handcuffing and the conditions coming with employment is going to be a big turnoff. And, you know, there's going to be competition for the head coaching gigs. And with where Miami's at, the assets that they have and the roster that they have, they're not going to be very high up on the pecking order. So if you are going to make the sweeping changes and you want to preempt it with you need to keep Adam Gase, then expect to find people that come in for interviews, nod their head, smile, say thank you for your time, and keep the spot they're in. Because a lot of these guys, when they get that front office look, unless you do it right and you're there for an extended period of time, you're going to get one crack at it. And who wants to come in with a lame duck head coach who's 500 with his record, who, you know, the more Gase has talked to over the last couple of weeks, the more I'm raising my eyebrows thinking, what the heck are you talking about? You know, the, the explanation for the poor record on the road this year, yep. now coming out and saying we haven't had the fail opportunity to properly evaluate Brian Tannehill is because of injuries on the offense. Adam, you've said for the entire season, nobody cares about the injuries. Mm -hmm. It's just an excuse. And now we're at the end of the season, and your job's on the line, and Ryan's job is on the line, and we're saying, well, shoot, we, we don't really know what Ryan is. Well, Ryan's been injured. Ryan missed, what, 21, 25 games in mm -hmm. three years? Mm -hmm. So we know what Ryan is. Ryan is finishing his seventh year in the NFL, and Gase has not helped himself in my eye with the way that he's handled speaking to the media and asking the hard, or answering the hard questions that people are asking him because it's, it's not inspiring any confidence whatsoever in me. And I can only imagine if I'm Steve Ross, unless Adam's – being much more candid with him behind closed doors. If I'm listening to press conference answers, I'm very concerned if I'm Ross. Yeah, I've mentioned this a few times uh, on the Twitter feed and with others. Uh, Chris Kaufman has made the suggestion that Gase may be trying to get fired with some of the things he said lately. I, I, I've, uh, you mentioned the road comment was ridiculous. Uh, I mean, this idea that you're facing hot teams on the road, I understand since he was playing a lot better then than they're playing now and they had their starting quarterback. But the, the teams that Dolphins have played on the road are basically 500 against everybody but the Dolphins. Uh, so I, that one was mystifying. The blaming the injuries, you know, I've compared this to the Heat situation. Like, you know, Eric Spolstra has a roster with no stars where two of his highest-paid players who are both overpaid were out. 
uh, where he has a center that he doesn't really care for, that he has to start because he's making a ton of money. He's got a 36-year-old in Dwayne Wade. He has to play. Dwayne deserves it, but also it's for marketing purposes. He's had to blend all that together, and he hasn't made a single excuse, and they've gotten themselves back to 500. While Gase, it just seems like he's continually making excuses. I don't have a problem with him making that case to Ross privately. My issue with it is that I've talked to a lot of former players who don't like the fact, and I, I, so I'm assuming current players feel the same way. They don't like Gase's lack of accountability in these situations. Um, you know, it's just, look, the road record is bad. I need to prepare my team better, right? Uh, you, know, if, you know, why didn't things go right this year? Well, we tried some things that didn't work. We need to get better. It's, just, it's a very simple way to do it. And then to me, Kyle, you make the case privately to Ross. If you want to say, look, I never really wanted the quarterback. You forced the quarterback on me. I think we could, let me pick one. I could do better the next time. Or listen, you know, Albert Wilson was becoming a bigger part of what we were doing you saw how you know we didn't fortify you know the 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 reserve crew of the offensive line. We couldn't afford to lose Josh Sitton. Then we lost Tunsil and James for a period of time. I mean, Kilgore wasn't playing that great. But like, if you want to make that case privately, like I understand that. But I don't understand making that case publicly because I feel Kyle like there were a lot of people when I was down on Gase this year. A lot of our listeners and our followers were coming at me, like, you're too hard on Gase, he's getting the most that he can of this. I feel like that turned the last two weeks with some of his comments. I think fans have just heard enough at this stage. I totally agree with you. And, and, and I, so I guess the question is, if what you're talking about is, you know, you don't want to handcuff the next guy coming in because you don't want to end up with, and no offense to Dennis Hickey, but he was the seventh choice the last time because they couldn't find anybody else to take the job. Um, do you think that Ross, based on his history, will reconsider that posture? Or does it depend on the guy that he can potentially get? And I guess the, the final question is, of the names that have been mentioned, okay, there's McKenzie, there's Wolf, right? There's Douglas, right? There's George Payton, who there's some familiarity with because he worked under Rick down here. There's Lewis Riddick, who I know is a popular choice among some fans and some media. What would be the direction you go there? I think if you could somehow sway Elliot Wolf and he's currently there in Cleveland right now working uh, underneath the front office that has, in my opinion, just done a masterful job over the past 12 months and, and making the right decisions in the draft. And it wasn't a popular choice at the time to take Baker Mayfield, yet they did. And, you know, you're, you're seeing the benefits of those decisions being reaped now. Uh, Elliot Wolf has a, a terrific reputation within the league from everybody that I have talked to. Uh, he would be my top target. Uh, Peyton comes in. I don't have a problem with that. Uh, I think those are probably my two favorite names that I've heard floated out there. Uh, the, the challenge with both is you're not going to be quite sure what you're getting because they've never filled that role before. And that was the allure of the Bill Parcells as we talked about. But, but Bill wasn't really invested in it because of where he was in his personal timeline in his career. Uh, if you had the opportunity to get either one of those two guys who are highly respected and can evaluate talent, I think that first and foremost has to be the priority because you look at the roster and the way that it's situated right now, and there's a lot of improvements that need to be made in a lot of areas, and specifically the quarterback position they're going to have a real tough time this year. They, mm -hmm. they missed the buck last mm -hmm. year. Last year was the year. If you needed a quarterback, well, shoot, we had five go in the first round. 
Mm-hmm. And in my opinion, four of them were very well deserved to be first round picks. Uh, this year's quarterback class, you know, they're going to have to, whoever they pull in here to run the roster and personnel moves is going to have to pull a rabbit out of their hat as far as how do you transition from this point where you've missed a large influx in talent at the quarterback position over the last three years because you were invested in Ryan Tannehill, who's now 30-plus and has missed a ton of games and has not developed the way you hoped he would, to getting a franchise quarterback, knowing full well the 2019 class in all likelihood might yield one. Mm-hmm. That is a huge, huge problem. And my biggest regret, as I look at the way the Dolphins have handled their situation, specifically at the quarterback position, knowing Ryan had the ACL tear and choosing not to address the quarterback position with anyone other than Brock Osweiler, who was an Adam Gase guy, is problematic, to put it mildly. Yeah, and I want to get into that more as we go forward. Before we do, um, you spoke a little bit about Wolf. I, I wanted you to get into Peyton a little bit, George Payton. Now, I'm familiar with him because I covered uh, the teams that, that Rick was the general manager here. I, I think that there are some Dolphin fans who still sort of remember the Rick Spielman era without much fondness because of the way it ended and because of some of the moves that were made in 2004 after Ricky left. The, uh, they actually traded for A.J. Feely before Ricky left, but then obviously that didn't work out. Uh, the Lamar Gordon move uh, in 2004 after Ricky left where they gave up a third-round pick. He made some desperation moves, I think, to save his coach uh, that, that didn't end up working out all that well. Uh, but what can you tell us about Peyton? Because uh, I've heard tremendous respect from people around the league, and again, my interactions with him have always – you know, led me to believe he's a competent person. But do Dolphin fans have it wrong about Spielman, the ones who were frustrated with, were frustrated with him? And, and what has been the record in Minnesota over the past few years? I think so, and it's because of the track record that they have in Minnesota. Minnesota's been one of the teams throughout the league in, in their scouting models and their review of players and, and what they're capable of doing, their talent assessment. Uh, they have some of the most advanced uh, analytical ideologies that they've introduced, and it has produced great drafting for this roster. This, this roster in Minnesota has its holes. Uh, the offensive line, specifically the interior offensive line, has been a problem for Minnesota the last couple of years. Hey, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? But at the same time, defensively, they, they've gotten stars, Everson Griffin, uh, Daniel Hunter, who is a third-round pick and has developed into one of the most impressive pass rushers in the league as far as his raw skill set and the, the technique that he's been able to develop. Uh, the linebacker group with, with Eric Kendricks and Anthony Barr, who's playing better this year now that he's healthy. And the secondary, uh, Harrison Smith and Xavier Rhodes, who's developed into a top corner in the entire league. And, and then they, they had Trey Waynes on the other side of his first-round pick. Defensively, this front office over the last five years has drafted phenomenal talent. And I re- look at wide receivers. They dug up Adam Thielen, Stephon Diggs. Uh, obviously, the move for Kirk Cousins is controversial to some based on the $84 million $3 deal that they gave him fully guaranteed. But Minnesota knew we're in a Super Bowl window right now, and we have to find a starting quarterback who's capable of winning the Super Bowl. And if Cousins he's capable – of a postseason run. So I respect the roster that they've constructed in Minnesota and Peyton working underneath Spielman and everything that they have done over the course of the last few years ago 
Uh, I think that is very valuable experience. And I think that is a promising track record for when he has an opportunity to call the shots for himself to implement a lot of those ideologies in his own franchise. Yeah, and the other thing I like about it, although he didn't work under Ross because uh, because he was here during Heisinga's tenure, at least he has a general feel for how the Dolphins operate, which which sure. I also I also think uh, would help him. He's not, I mean, and he was a really young guy when he was here too. So I mean, you're not talking sick of being upsold at gyms. My guy, you're currently a base member. For ninety dollars more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For hundred and thirty more, you'll be a swole member, and for just three hundred dollars more, you'll reach. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. About somebody who's who's past his prime. You know, to, to me, either of those two moves would make sense. I, I think Douglas would make some sense. I think McKenzie might make some sense in the right circumstance. Uh, but uh, to me, any of it has to be the guy comes in and gets to evaluate everything. And let look, let Adam Gase tell that person what he's been telling the media, okay, and get more specific about it if there's players that he doesn't want to, you know, sort of call out publicly. Uh, before we get to the position groups, and I want to start with a quarterback – one of the things about Gase that's been odd to me this year is that he hasn't used some of the better talent that he seems to have, okay? And I know that these things tend to come out later, and probably there's going to be some stuff leaked about how maybe Kenyon Drake didn't act behind the scenes the way that they wanted him to because that seems to be a pattern here. As soon as a guy's gone, uh, they get trashed. But what has been your view of the way that they've used uh, three guys in particular this year? Uh, Drake, Stills, and before he was hurt, Jakeem Grant. Yeah, uh, the Kenny Stills one is the most mystifying to me because I think Kenny's a great all-around receiver, and, and obviously his ability to separate vertically down the field in the deeper areas. Uh, I guess if you're looking for some context as to why that hasn't materialized, look at the quarterback position. You have to have confidence to throw the ball down the field. And I just don't know, regardless whether it was Tannehill after the injury or uh, Brock Osweiler, everything in this offense was running short. And the question now is, okay, you know, are you throwing a lot of lot more volume near the line of scrimmage because you don't trust your offensive line to block or you don't trust your quarterback to feel pressure and you know, maneuver within the pocket? I don't know. But I can tell you, Kenny Stills has been open. Like, it's, it's not like Kenny Stills had a bad year. He's been playing through injury and, and can't separate. Kenny's been open. Jakeem mm-hmm. uh, Grant, I liked how they stuck with Jakeem. Jakeem had some ups and downs when, when he was first on the roster. I, I seem to remember uh, some ball security issues with Jakeem, specifically on special teams. And it's really easy to dismiss a small guy like that. But the buzz that he got and the, the way you saw him play towards the end of last year and, and – I think Miami's biggest issue with all of these receivers that they have, with the exception of Devontae Parker, is they're all kind of cut from the same cloth, mm-hmm. right? I, I think that allows for interchangeability and the flexibility based on what opposing teams are going to give you. So if teams want a key on Jakeem Grant because he's got explosive speed, that's great. You know, we got Albert Wilson. Well, you know, the, the entire wide receiver room has felt the impact of these explosive, fast guys that they have when they get hurt. And now you're left with, you know, just a skeleton of what you had in that room. As far as Kenyon Drake, uh, I can tell you that the pass blocking efforts I've seen from him, which seemed to be one of the thorns in the side of Adam Gase 
with Jay Ajayi when he was here too, mm-hmm. you know, in addition to the attitude and the effort. Uh, Drake has not put in the effort as a pass blocker that I was expecting to see from him. Mm-hmm. So if that's going to turn Adam Gase off, then that's fine. But you can't keep doing the same thing and expecting the, the process to change. And if you're not optimizing the talented to have on your roster, that's a coaching problem. You have to change your own philosophy. You can't take square pegs and put them in round holes and expect to get results that you're looking for. So I think there's plenty of blame, if you want to call it blame, or context as far as each of those players that you had mentioned. But ultimately, you've got to be able to take what you have and make the most of it. And that's something I don't think Gates necessarily has done a very good job of this year. Yeah, Kyle, what it seems to me is that um, he only wants guys that he can absolutely 100% trust, right? So, like, this year, they leaned heavily. I mean, they're leading ball carrier in terms of, of attempts. And he had, look, he, had, he averaged 4.6 yards a carry. So, I mean, he, he had a throwback season. But was Frank Gore, who he's going to implicitly trust, but is not going to give him a lot of big plays. The receiver who had the most targets was Danny Amendola, who turned out to be a pretty good signing. Doesn't make mistakes, right? but also doesn't give you explosive plays. So, you know, when I'm looking at this offense and I'm saying, well, why are they 30th in the league? A lot of it is quarterback, no question, okay? And the inability to get the ball down the field, the inability to protect, particularly up the middle. I understand all of that. But when I look at the players that are not getting touches, it's like if you rub Gase wrong in the slightest way, you're just not going to be targeted anymore. Um, And and he's going to go with, I mean, even, you know, O'Leary over Kasicki in a lot of situations this year. Like, if you look at all of this, it's like, this is the guy I trust. Okay, he's not going to get us big plays, but I trust him, as opposed to a guy who might get me big plays, but might make a mistake in pass blocking and on a route, on something like that. And the results are the results. I mean, they're 30th in the league. <laughs> like, so, so I, I mean, I, you, I think you could praise Amendola and Gore and say they were good additions and say at this stage of their respective careers – should they be the leading ball carrier and the leading receiver on a team? And I think the answer to that uh, is probably no. All right, let's get to some specifics here. You mentioned quarterback, and obviously that's the big one. And I know the draft is not, you know, particularly we don't know what Kyler Murray is going to do ultimately. And I know there's a lot of talk about Haskins and some Greer has come up. Um, But if you look at free agency this year or available quarterbacks potentially in a trade, in your view, is Teddy Bridgewater an upgrade, if healthy, over Ryan Tannehill? And if not him, is there any other veteran quarterback who could either be a bridge quarterback or your quarterback going forward? Yeah, I think Bridgewater's the wild card because Bridgewater was a promising young player uh, drafted by Minnesota. We just got done singing the praises. Uh, I just got done singing the praises of, of the roster construction that they've done there. Uh, obviously had the catastrophic knee injury and then lost his job and uh, signed with New York. And then I think New York fetched a third round pick from New Orleans for him in a trade before the season started this year. So 26 years old, he's got talent. It's a question of what's his health and uh, what is his mobility after such a significant injury. And you know, those are really are questions that are going to be hard to vet without the on-the-field sample size, and it's been very limited. I will say he looked good in the preseason. Uh, The appeal to Teddy Bridgewater is he's not Ryan Tannehill, and I think you as the Dolphins are going to have a really hard time selling your team in 2019 by retaining Ryan Tannehill and paying him the allotted 
I think 26 plus million that he's owed as far as the cap hit next year. It's a significant number. And, um, the, the play has not matched that whatsoever. So Bridgewater is the fascinating one for me. The question is, what's the market price? And if you can get Bridgewater for a reasonable price, and I say reasonable price being uh, under uh, average starting quarterback money right now in the NFL is probably $18 million per year. Mm-hmm. So if you can get a short-term incentive-laden or non-guaranteed contract that's in that general range, I think that's a worthwhile car to kick the tires on and see if there's mutual interest there. Obviously, Teddy's from the Miami area. So, you know, they have some things playing to their advantage with Teddy Bridgewater to see if they can attract him because the whole play for a franchise quarterback is is, it has to be 2020. You're not going to get a short-term signing from a veteran that's going to come in and be the answer for this franchise, unfortunately. And uh, the other name that does come to my mind, if you're looking for a bridge quarterback, is maybe somebody like Nick Foles. Mm-hmm. Uh, Foles has come in, stepped into the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, I believe he's a $20 million plus dollar option for the Eagles next year. That obviously will not be uh, materialized. They, they are not going to pay him that kind of money, especially with Carson Wentz, uh, his injuries aside, being getting close to talking about uh, the extension on his contract. So mm-hmm. Foles would be an interesting one for me. Maybe you're looking at a, a two-year bridge. You can get him for 2019-2020. And then in that 2020 class, that's where you will have the opportunity to potentially target some some quarterbacks, depending on who decides to come out in this year's class. The only veteran name that that was somewhat appealing to me in a potential trade, uh, other than obviously those two guys you mentioned who could be free agent possibilities, uh, was Derek Carr. Is is where do you think? Because it's it's hard for me to evaluate him with the mess that there's been in Oakland now, particularly this year. And it's just you know, I mean, they just took away his top receiver and everything else that's happened there. Um, do you think? Do you still think? Or, or I guess the question is, do you think he's a franchise quarterback? And two, is he someone that you would you would give assets, significant assets, to go get if Oakland made him available? Yeah, and and the really fascinating piece of this is you know. The, the Raiders in general have been shedding salary and John Gruden's come in there with the interest in specifically making this roster his own in every way, shape and form. And, uh, there's been some reports out that uh, Mark Davis had a hand in the trading of Khalil Mack and, and uh, Amari Cooper. And you know, perhaps they look at the contract that Carr has. And that is something that needs to be accounted for too, is this is a young guy drafted in 2014, the same year as Bridgewater was. Uh, early second round pick. I like Derek Carr coming out. I think he had a great arm down the field, uh, but his strengths and weaknesses are going to be things that are going to sound familiar for Dolphins fans when I talk about the ability to handle pressure in the pocket and a lack of an ability to extend plays and make the first arriving pass rusher miss while keeping his eyes down the field and throwing the ball accurately. So I don't know if it makes sense for Miami to move for a player like Derek Carr when their roster's not suited to enhance his skill set, it's going to be, it's not a great fit and mesh as far as what Miami's current strengths and weaknesses are. And that's not to say they can't get better in those areas, but interior offensive line has been a problem for the Dolphins for a really long time now. And, you know, I personally would just like to get a quarterback in there that you feel like when plays get off the rails, they can make something happen because that's been one of the most crippling things for Ryan Tannehill 
And you look at a guy like Russell Wilson playing out in Seattle, who mm. well, this team was supposed to stink this year. And right now they're, they're nine and six. They're in the playoffs for this year. And they haven't made any drastic changes to the offensive line. It's Russell is simply one of those players that will elevate the play of the players around him. I don't necessarily think Derek Carr is that kind of quarterback, much like Ryan Tannehill isn't that kind of quarterback. These are guys that have to have good situations around them to consistently play at a high level. And I think that's the challenge for Miami is finding that next player who can elevate the play of those around him because those are the players that will win you a Super Bowl. All right, let's finish this up with some rapid fire here. So I'm going to throw some stuff at you. You give me uh, your best answers. Um, Here's a couple of players that the Dolphins have drafted recently um, that really have not made a contribution this season. Are you in or out on Charles Harris long-term? Are you in or out on Mike Kosicki long-term? I'm out on Charles Harris. I had a fourth-round grade on Charles Harris. It blew my mind that this was a player drafted in the top 25. Mm. Uh, I thought he was stiff. I thought his first step was his only appealing quality, and he had no technique as a pass rusher whatsoever. Well, you're seeing all those things materialize. Mike Gusecki, that one hurt because I would have loved to see Dallas Goddard, who got drafted a few picks after by the Philadelphia Eagles, be the target for the Mm -hmm. Dolphins in the second round. I think Mike is going to be successful if he gets in a situation that allows him to press up the seam. He's a seam-busting tight end, a vertical threat, red zone target. Well, it, they tried to throw him a fade against the Titans week one, and he, he fell over his own feet. <laughs> so I think Mike's one of those players, and he had like an elite combine. I don't think he plays to the same level of athleticism as what he shows or showed at the combine. I have promise for Mike Gusecki. I'm kind of lukewarm on him. I'm not sure if I'm in or out. Kalen Balaj, can he be a lead back? Yes. Absolutely. I think if his confidence gets up as far as when he presses into the line of scrimmage, that when that gap's going to develop, he's got explosive speed. He can put his shoulders down. So he's a bigger guy, but at the same time, he can diminish the surface area. I think he is a valuable piece for the Dolphins offense going forward. Make a Fitzpatrick's best position going forward. I like him in safety. I thought his awareness, uh, his ability to prognosticate, uh, route combinations and understand how offenses are trying to attack him in Alabama and his ability to make plays on the football were all phenomenal. Now he does kind of fit the mold of what Miami likes at corner. Obviously if he's saving Howard on the other side, uh, they, they like length there. They like physicality there. I wouldn't hate it if they played make it boundary, but I think his best position, his best opportunity to really truly shine is a free safety. Cameron Wake. Should they give it one more year? Absolutely. Give that man whatever he wants. Yeah, he, that's one of the things I think the fans missed this year. His metrics were much better than his sack numbers, although his sack numbers yeah. uh, came up. But his metrics were really excellent. All right, let's look at a couple of positions then. You know, defensive end, they didn't get a lot out of Robert Quinn this year. Give me two names. The Dolphins should be picking somewhere in that, what, like 14 to 17 space this year. Give me a couple of names at defensive end that you'd like if they decide to go that direction. Sure. One is a Florida guy, Ja'Kai Polite from University of Florida. Uh, very explosive. He's somewhere around 260. Another Florida guy, Brian Burns, uh, I think has elite pass rush skills. He's from Florida State. His problem is he's currently walking around somewhere between 240 and 245, but he's long, he's explosive, and he has the best pass rush counters out of anybody bar none in the draft class as far as I'm concerned. I think he's a uh, really – really special pass rushing 
talent that if he can get another 10 pounds on him and keep that explosiveness, he's going to be a, a high-level player at the next level. How many linebackers on the Dolphins' current roster would you keep going forward? How many do you like? Uh, I like Jerome Baker a ton. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jerome Baker was a, a player that I liked, and you, you see his speed and his ability in space. That's an uh, This is a, a modern-age NFL linebacker, Jerome Baker. Raquan McMillan's frustrating for me. You saw him shine in that Patriots a victory. But that's how you have to play him. If he has to be a guy that stays within the phone booth. I don't think he's a coverage linebacker. He's been abused all year long in zone coverages, failing to feel routes coming in behind him. And just I, I think his, his playing space is really limited. So I would keep Raekwon, but that was another player for me I was not especially high on. They took him in the second round. Uh, that was a confusing pick for me because they needed athleticism, and he's not that kind of player. So as a, an early down type linebacker, I think Raekwon can stay. And then Kiko, it's just going to come down to dollars. Do you need the dollars somewhere else? Because it, it, for all of his flashes and the production that he has, and he's made some big plays this year, I'll give him credit, he's so erratic. Mm-hmm. And that that's hard to justify paying him what they're in line to pay him. Yeah, he's either been really good or really bad. Final one here, and again, you can follow him at Grinding the Tape. It's Kyle Krabs. Uh, has Rashad Jones, uh, after next week, played his last game for the Dolphins, do you think? Uh, if Adam Gase sticks around, I think so. Mm-hmm. It, it, this is another one of these players you saw last year with Jarvis Landry and J.H.I. Gase kind of has this mini – uh, Chip Kelly thing going on where if he butts heads with you, you're, you're typically going to find your way out the door. So I think if Adam Gase sticks around, it's probably going to lead to a divorce between the Dolphins and Rashad. Yeah, that's one of, been one of the strange things for me is that, you know, Gase doesn't come in with the kind of pedigree that you would think uh, he would take these kind of positions uh, with his best. I mean, it's been his best players. <laughs> like his, Consistently, it's been the best players, yeah. the ones he's had the issues with, which reminds me in a lot of ways of, uh, of a former head coach here, Joe Philbin. It was like, if you got on the leadership yep. council, you were gone, and everybody mocked Joe for death. that. Yeah, it's, it's a leadership council. Right, it's like, and you were gone, and now all of a sudden, uh, Gase has, has done the same thing. I will throw one more at you uh, before we go. Steve Ross, there... I think Dolphin fans want to like him because he spends money. I, they did a great job on the stadium. I mean, nobody can argue differently. He put up his own money for that. Uh, he's done a great job with soccer in this community. Uh, he does a great job with Rise. I mean, there's a lot of positive things to say about Steve Ross. What is the single biggest thing he needs to do to be a better owner? Understand what you do and don't know. And the things that you don't know, you need to get somebody in who does. Now, some of the reports over the course of the last week have been talking about, well, you know, Ross might be conflicted with letting go of Mike Tannenbaum because one of his most trusted advisors used to work on the Jets and was a part of Tannenbaum and, and his tenure with the Jets. If it comes to football and X's and O's, your business friends are not going to help you there. Mm. You need to find a football executive that understands how to construct a roster, how to evaluate talent, how to balance the dynamics of the egos that are present in an NFL front office and coaching room and a locker room. All of those things are very delicate. And having someone like a John Dorsey, who we mentioned earlier in this show and, and what's happened in Cleveland is paramount. And the Browns owner is, is notorious. Jimmy Haslam is notorious as being one of the most hands-on, but he gets in his own way, and he's a part of the Tennessee volunteers coaching search, and they stuff that up because of how hands-on Haslam was. He hired John Dorsey. They're getting ready to have a coaching search, and Haslam's going to stay out of the way. Haslam stayed out of the way of the decision to draft Baker Mayfield. Mm -hmm. 
You need to know if you're Stephen Ross what you do and don't know and understand the most important thing you can do is bring somebody into that front office as your executive that knows what the heck is going on. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I'm with you on that completely. And uh, I, but I don't know if he's learned the lesson. We're going to find out here over the next couple of weeks. Again, follow him at Grinding the Tape. Kyle Krabs, uh, really enjoyed doing this with you. Hopefully, we can have you on again when I get Chris back from uh, the other side of the pond. Oh, I would love it. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.